Hey toy family, welcome to the Marsham Toy Hour where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. I'm Teresa Hawkins. And just so you know, as you listen to this entire episode, you might hear this. That is our back in the day counter. That will go off every time back in the day is said. Teresa, how you feeling? You feel like we're getting a little bit of that podcast mojo back? I think so. Hopefully the listeners think so. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's still some magic in our wands. We've been uh, trying some new things, trying some new tricks, and uh, it seems to be working out. We're getting a little more engagement on the comments and people letting us know that, yes, we got stagnant, we hear you, and uh, we're going to try new things. Not the Toy Chronicle new things, but we're trying. Yeah, we're dabbling back into gas, but we'll still bring some toy talk every now and again. It'll be a good mix. I'm feeling the mojo. I'm feeling it rising back up in me. I've noticed you got a little more toy spirit in you, a little more pep. That's good. And you've been putting together some good notes and ideas for concepts and stuff that we can do. Honestly, I don't know that we can do all of them on, on record, especially if we have a guest, but it's stuff that I think we can start uh, doing for the Facebook group. Well, and I think we can, I've been trying to save notes for a toy talk episode. I think we've talked about maybe trying to do toy talk once a month and then guests intermingled within that. So we'll see. I don't know. We, we we plan all we can, but we never really stick to plans for very long. <laughs> well, let's get right to it then. We have a guest joining us tonight. So anyone who's been in the designer toy scene for any length of time, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran from the early 2000s, you, you're definitely aware of this man, or should be. He is a, a large presence, and that's uh, in the literal sense but he's also a big player in the designer toy game he's done a ton of a ton of different toys all of which i'm not even going to try to pronounce the names of (laughs) he's also worked with a lot of different companies uh kuso vinyl toy cube ad functure kid robot and more recently unruly industries he's honestly one of the best dudes in the industry i don't know him all that well but that's the reputation he has so let's go ahead and welcome the pioneer of the urban Aztec style, Jesse Hernandez. Welcome, Jesse. What up? Thanks for having me on, bro. What's going on, man? Chilling. Thanks for the dope intro. I'm feeling it. Yeah, man. And I don't think we, you and I have actually sat down and ever had a conversation. We've run into each other at conventions a lot of times, a lot of high fives and man hugs, but we never <laughs> actually talked. So this is our chance. Right on, bro. Yeah, I was like, I feel like we've crossed paths a bunch of times. We didn't necessarily get to hang out like that much. So, yeah, no, it's definitely a, a, a solid pickup right here. Yeah, you're a West Coast guy, so I've, I've, I've crossed paths with you at San Diego, DesignerCon, yeah. all that stuff. For sure. You're still in Sacramento? Uh, so I'm in uh, um, Oakland. Oakland, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, but yeah, in the Northern California Bay Area. Nice, okay. Now, Jesse, I'm going to admit, I'm a little nervous in talking to you because actually, Teresa, I don't think you even know this because I, I know you did some research up on him, but I didn't see it in the notes. Jesse here used to host a TV series that was essentially bringing awareness to the designer toy scene. He'd walk around and interview and talk to people. And yeah, so the fact that you did that, it's a little intimidating to me trying to host you. Wait, like cable TV? Yeah, so this was a uh, vinyl addiction. It was on uh, mixed TV. And um, so, but they had like kind of limited markets where there was, you know, the the different coasts and like they were picking up new uh, coverage with different cable carriers at different times. And uh, so it was kind of, you weren't sure if everyone was getting it all the time and then we would have it online also. But yeah, it was called a uh, vinyl addiction. And so we would go around and chop it up with folks at, you know, their store, visit studios. And, and you know, I think we even, we shot at uh, San Diego Comic-Con 
and which was we'd always wild trying to do interviews at comic-con with all the chaos going on there but yeah no so it was uh it was good times it was funny man like originally i wasn't planning to be the host of that show either and they were like no dude you have to do it because no one else would even know what they're talking about it would seem like <laughs> super fake bro you know right. so then i ended up like all right yeah we'll try it out i don't know how this will go and you know can you kind of like learn on the job and i felt like it got better every time yep. you know like by the end you're like wow this is really good you know right, yeah getting pretty legit at this that, stuff you know sounds <laughs> <was> like us <laughs> right you know what i actually went back and watched an entire episode last night because i knew you're coming on jesse so i was just doing some research and stuff and next thing i know i'm sitting there watching a full episode it was the one with um michael lau and rob deerdeck of fantasy factory yeah and yeah these were 30 minute episodes Teresa, and they would talk to people and go to shows and whatnot and uh it was really well produced jesse did the full animated intro they had music and actual real editing not like this show it's uh it was like legit no it was solid bro i missed that one i mean I'd love to start doing it again at some point. But yeah, like at the time too, it was crazy because we were working on a cartoon over there at the channel. And then um, when they started doing mix, they were like, hey, you know, do you guys want to come up with uh, some other show ideas? And we pitched them and they're like, great, now go make that too. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess now I'm doing like three different shows. All right, that's cool. But yeah, so it was a little hectic at times, but it was always fun. And, you know, we'd be fighting for uh, editors and stuff. So a lot of times you'd end up editing yourself and... Oh. Um, you know, like, so when uh, I would go on shoots and oftentimes it's just me and the cameraman, uh, Big Joe Perry. So, like, it would just be me and him. And so I would be, like, producing and hosting. And then I'd be like, Joe, how's our audio? He's like, yeah, we're good. So he'd be, like, audio and camera. And um, he'd have, you know, the one set camera. And then he'd have another one that he's doing handheld. So you get more, you know, out of focus, cool stuff going on with that. But yeah, it was wild, man. So we went to New York, just me and him and shot, you know, tons of footage. He's all over the place. And, uh, but yeah, dude, good times. Yeah, like the Fantasy Factory one, that was wild. Uh, Tracy Tubera set all that up because um, he was, um, I don't know if you guys know, but he was the artist for uh, for Rob Deerdeck you know, during the Fantasy Factory time. Yeah, did the whole grinders, wild, wild Grinders, everything, yeah. yeah, you guys, yeah. I think you guys had like 25 uh, high fives in that episode. Dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. Oh my, I think all of the B-roll was Trace. Like, <laughs> No, it was so classic, bro. Like the whole time, anytime we ask a question, we would go like on some <laughs> tangent for 30 minutes. I'm like, dude, we're never going to get through this. <laughs> it was Wait, just nonstop it, comedy. It sounds like you guys are a lot more similar to us. And I realized I thought you guys were like this full production house. And then yet sounds like mainly two guys doing most of the work. And then also we're kind of similar to you as well. We just end up ranting. And next thing I know, we have two hours of material and I have to cut 30 minutes out. But, man, I'm jealous you got to go to the Fantasy Factory. I love Rob Deerdeck. Yeah, so, yeah. And then, yeah, actually, I think when we were at Fantasy Factory, we also had uh, another buddy of ours, and they were doing a show, a lifestyle show called Straight Lace, because then they were interviewing other skaters and stuff like that, too, while we were there. Okay. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Terry Kennedy was there, and Paul Rodriguez was there. Oh, damn. Yeah, no, it was it was legit, dude, the whole time. And I still remember when, uh, when I first met Rob, I was like, what, dude, what's going on right now? And, um... <laughs> I mean, he's like the most professional cat I've ever interviewed. Like he did a drop for the show, one take, the best drop anyone's ever done for the show. <laughs> like like he wasn't even trying. I was like, Are you serious, man? Like See Teresa, know, we we've always talked about having our guests do drops and every time we forget. We'll have to get Jesse to do a drop for us before you get off. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I just I'm just the fact that there was a show for vinyl toys. 
right? Crazy. Oh. And there was, you know, toy break you heard. And it's just, Jesse, while you're here, I want to know, because one thing that we struggle with and what we were talking about, how we get, we struggle with covering all aspects of the scene for all collectors and designer toys to want to listen to is just covering everything that the, the areas of the designer toy that you're just not that familiar with. Did you have struggles with that? And did you have to research to be able to carry a conversation with people in certain aspects that maybe you weren't that familiar with? I mean, yeah, I, I think most of the people that were on the show, I mean, I think, you know, I was for the most part a fan of already. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes it would be the first time we ever met and we're doing an interview, you know, um, like I think like uh, Suck Lord, I think that was the first time we ever met. I went to his studio. That was out of control. And, <laughs> I um, bet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I did an interview with uh, with Bigfoot while he was still out in uh, New York also. And we're talking. Next thing I know, we start the interview and he throws his hair over his face and I was like, yo, what just happened? All right. Well, just roll with it. Act like it's normal. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I was like, all right, I didn't know he was going to do that. That's cool. But, you know. Is there a way to see the rest of them? I only found the one that was on your website. Yeah, um, not at this moment. Um, it's been uploaded a few times to uh, to YouTube and whatever, but for whatever reason, they keep taking it up and down and whatever because it's still owned by um, ABS-CBN. Okay. I have some of them up on my site, and I do have all the episodes. I've been meaning to post them up just up all on my site or whatever at some point. I you think there's two or three episodes up there right now. But yeah, it's a trip now, too, because it's like a time capsule where it's like this is it like, is. what, 2008 to 2011-ish, something like that, when all this was done. And um, like, so we shot the pilot 2008, and then I think we started actually making it 2009. The, the very first uh, interview was, was with... Uh, Market 27 at Monkey King. So that was like the test one we did. And while we were there, we shot with Jensen with uh, Gallery 1988 and then also got an interview with Johan uh, from Lincoln Park. And that one was a trip because I was like the day after doing an art show and, and like, all right, man, I'm fully like destroyed at this point and trying to, you know, interview him and stuff. And I was like, at the same time, like, wow, we're really just chilling in here. Okay, this is cool. You know, um, and uh, yeah, Joe was cool as hell. His collection is out of control, you know, and this was 10, 11 years ago, yeah. you know, because he had a store called Suru on Melrose back in the day and um, which was a super dope, like uh, lifestyle shop. They had um, toys, clothing, um, like different apparel with different artists and stuff. And um, I, I remember going back to Melrose and on, on the on the same strip, you can go to that store, you can go to Japan LA, you can go to T uh, Kid Robot, Monkey King. Like that was awesome, that, you know. Yeah, it it's was like a spot the, back in the day. Yeah. It's like the Rodeo Drive of Toys. Was no one. <laughs> yeah, but I not mean, as at fancy. the time. <laughs> for sure, at the time, it was crazy. You know, and then, uh, what was it? Um, uh, what was Gino's shop? Um, oh, uh, Tag. Yeah, Tag. And then Tag came out, and that was like directly across the street from Monkey King and Suru, I think. Yeah. Um, then you had Kid Robot down the way. But yeah, it was just a jumping spot back in the day. Yeah, I remember when I would go, you know, I was, I grew up in Phoenix when I would go out there and visit my friend Scott, we would, that's usually where we would go when we pick one day and go to Melrose for the day and, you know, uh, shop hop, but let's yeah. get, uh, let's get talking to you though, Jesse. So yeah, yeah, for sure, when bro. did you, when did you discover designer toys or how did you get introduced to it? So for me, the very beginning, I was working at a shop in uh, Sonoma, California called Images in Motion. And um, a dude came into the shop named Roy Miles, who you might be familiar with the ghetto Geppetto. Um, so he did a toy called the Biddies back in the day. 
Um, which back in the days is literally what biddies means, actually. Which so I'm like, that's funny that that just happened naturally. <laughs> but so there were all these dope little hip hop toys that were kind of like, you know, Lego style. And so he introduced me to uh, Kid Robot, which had um, just opened up a little bit before that. And um, I was like, what, graffiti and toys? Like, are you serious? Like, this is perfect. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so just seeing all that stuff. And then uh, so I bouncing from there to, to check out all the stuff Kid Robot was doing. I started collecting that. Yeah, it's kind of like fell in love with the whole scene at that time. I think the Vinyl Will Kill book was out at that time. And I'm like checking everybody out in there. Yeah, no, so it was stuff that had never been done. And you're tripping out on it. And, you know, the stuff Michael Loud was doing was insane. And then just seeing what everybody else was doing. And uh, myself, personally, I started um, doing customs from there. Trying to figure out how to, you know, get your own productions and whatever, things like that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the day, you couldn't get a blank. Like, there was no such thing either. And so you'd have to paint over, you know, sacrifice one of your own pieces to, to make one, yeah. you know, yep. but, Spend... which I'm sure kids nowadays are like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. Drop 40 yeah. bucks on something and then have to strip it. It's painful. Yeah, man. Like it's all right. Well, I bought this to kill it. So, you know, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and this is back when, you know, the, the, you're talking early 2000s or mid 2000s. That's when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, oh, three or four. Yeah. So you know? Kid Robot uh, was just starting out. It was. I'm ex- yeah. So I guess, yeah, 2002 is probably when I was first introduced to it. Yeah. And back then, that's when they used to call these urban vinyl toys. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cause they, they still call them designer toys. But for some, they Well, not for some reason. A little history lesson for those not familiar. In the late 1990s, Michael Lau, who we've already mentioned a few times, he was invited to do a, a cover for a band. I can't remember the name of the band. But he was doing these toys for just for friends and family. But then he put this toy on the cover of this album and then ended up the toy line ended up being the gardeners you might have heard of that series but that series was what people say is that really the first start of the urban vinyl toy and then kid robot started up and you know um uh paul bundits is working with a lot of art you know street artists from new york and la and so this the scene back in the early 2000s was a lot more urban and street art influence on uh, vinyl toys yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, back in the day, that's how it was. And speaking of which, did you meet Paul Budditz at the back then the San Francisco location? Yeah, yeah. So I started um, getting stuff in there, and at the time, Hub G was the manager um, of of the San Francisco store. And that's um, a crazy thought. And so yeah, just you know, was going in there collecting stuff, and and then uh, got invited to do like the first uh, money show. This was like '05, I think. So that was when they were introducing, you know, the blank money character and all that. So that was a dope show that, you know, I think they did that one at all the different stores like New York, L.A. and San Francisco at the time. And then they auctioned them all off. And yeah, that was like the first like actual blank that they had put out with the Kid Robot. Yeah. So your way into the scene really was first with customs, customizing different platforms. Well, I guess uh, collecting first and then on to customs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I started as a collector for sure. I'm trying to think. Was your first? What was your first production? Was it Kid Robot or was it Toy Kim? It was actually um, Kaching Brands, which became Mind Style. Um, so I did a uh, a Fooly Cooly uh, robot, the uh, the Canty robot, and so they forget who all had had versions of it. It was um, myself. I think Mad did one, Tristan Eaton, and um, whether the uh, I want to say like one or two other people were on it, but it was okay. so like they only made like a hundred of each one. 
Um, so that was the very first like production piece. Uh-huh. And then from there, uh, the next one was the uh, the Jaguar Warrior Dunny with uh, Kirobot. Yes. And here's something I don't understand, Jesse. I, I did my research. So your Jaguar Dunny came out in 2009, but the Azteca Dunny series, the first one, came out in like 2007. Yeah, I was and I in said the... you're the pioneer of the Azteca uh, style, the urban Aztec style, and yet you were not in the first series. You were in the second series. How did you get overlooked for the first one? <laughs> so, funny story. Um so I think because they left me out of that first series was the reason they went straight to an eight inch with me. Okay. Like, right. They were like, yo, our bad. Like we fully like messed up not having you in here. Let's do an eight inch right now. I'm like, cool. That'll work. I like that better. You know? <laughs> yeah. That paid off better. Yeah. No. So yeah, it was kind of weird when it came out and everyone's like, yo, why aren't you in there, bro? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like a perfect is. fit. Yeah. Cause I was. Yeah. Thinking... So then the, and then when the second one came around, I actually did the box design and everything. Um, yep. and then, uh, had one of the chase figures, which is always cool. Nice. Teresa, are you hanging in there? I'm here. <laughs> you all you all are throwing out so many things left and right that I'm just like all these names. You know how bad I am. I'm like, I can't <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. When we talk about heyday stuff, Jesse, like Teresa came in, you came in, started collecting what, six years ago, somewhere in there? Five, six years? Uh, long, longer than that. I think it was like two thousand twelve. Okay, so a lot of yeah. the stuff pre-2012, especially when we talk about Heyday and talking about the what it was like going to a kid robot signing and having you know, lines out the door and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's not something that she experienced. So Yeah, like, no, it was nuts back in the day. Yeah. But I mean, um, when I'm always hearing about all these like signing parties and releases oh, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming maybe even for your first 8-inch or maybe others, like did, you, did they have launch parties at these kid robots yeah crazy crowd um, so the the when the jaguar warrior dunny came out so i did a uh a four-day signing event so we went from four days yeah it was crazy (laughs) (laughs) no it was nuts dude so legit they flew me to new york next day i was in miami next day la next day san francisco and everywhere you went then they sold out everywhere they went it was crazy (laughs) yeah you'd be up there signing for like you know three hours or something and you know people are lined up around the building it was nuts like back in the day it was so tight different times completely different times and then as you know things definitely changed after that but for like those first few years man it was nuts every signing you had it was crazy and that i remember that one was nuts too because when i went to new york and then my flight from new york to miami was delayed like four times and I was like, you know, messaging him like, yo, look, just tell people to stick around. Like whenever the <laughs> hell I get there, I'll sign everything you need signed. You know, I got no other plans, man. I'm here for that. And so, you know, people ended up sticking around and, you know, I fully got there like after this shit should have been done and, um, you know, ended up signing everybody's uh, stuff and hanging out for a minute and then hopping on a flight like five hours <laughs> later to L.A. You that's know? crazy to think you're just that's the only setting. time I was even in Florida. Damn. In, uh, it's like a freaking book tour or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. And then, um, like, when I did uh, the Calavera Dunny, um, so we did New York and then L.A. and San Francisco. I think there was there either wasn't a Florida one at that time anymore or they just passed over for whatever reason. But so that was three days for the, the Calavera one. Crazy. Um, and then when they would do the three-inch Dunnies, you know, like the – 
the different ones, the sets that would come out. They would normally have like a cool signing party at like uh, Kid Robot and like they tried to get a few artists from the area that were in the set. Um, like I, I did a couple signings with uh, with Huck and Frank Kozik. And then we did um, Dragatomi for the uh, Apocalypse series. It was like me, Hydro 74 and Chris Reiniak were all there signing. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. You got so his was, name in there. Teresa, you didn't yeah. have to do it. Jesse did it for you. Big Chris, what up, bro? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn it. One episode. I'm going to get an episode where his name is not mentioned. It's oh, see, I didn't know it was a problem, man. My bad. It, it's not a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's just an ongoing joke that we have because it always seems to happen. You try, you can try not to, and it's it's gonna somehow come up. Somehow, some way, he makes his way into he, he is, That's yeah, awesome. He, he is. What's that game where it's like eight? Uh, Eight the connections, six, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, so we got basically our six degrees of Chris Reiniak. But it's like one degree because it shows up every time. <laughs> yes, yes, one. There's, it My always, man. <laughs> always somehow connects back to Chris. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> no, he's good peeps, man. No, that's that's hilarious. What I like what you're saying is that you're throwing out all these names when you're we're talking 2004, 2006, you know, early mid 2000s, and all yeah. of the names you're throwing out are still in the game and very prominent today, you know, Mad, although Mad's kind of doing his own thing, he's going off and designing toys for other companies under his own brand, but, you know, uh, Kozik and Sket and Tristan Eve, you know, Huck, you know, everyone's still around. It's not like you're throwing out names that we're not familiar with anymore. No, it's funny. I think um, another dude that was a huge influence at the beginning was Frank Kozik, too. Yep. Uh, so I want to say, like, 2005, I had bought some toys from him and just said, hey, man, can I stop by your studio to to pick him up he's like, yeah, no problem you know and then i would go in there and be like what the hell is all this stuff you know and tripping out on everything and you know be like yo frank how you get down with kid robot you know and now he's the man at kid robot which is crazy you know how, how that all ended up too you know yeah it's crazy um, yeah, but, I mean, he's been a beast forever so <clears throat> it's crazy to hear huck managed the store <laughs> it, it seems super weird now to say that but right? yeah it's it's the truth you know <laughs> They're like when I when I met him, that was that's where he was, and he had the uh, you know the skull head on his neck. I'm like, wait, are you Huck, bro? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, that's crazy. You know, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird yeah, how the it, world works. And then back in the day, you had the uh, the message board. You know, that's right. It was like a huge thing, and I'm actually like we were all moderators on that back in the day. Like uh, Hug was like the the monitor. Uh, Frank was, I was, I think Mad was, Sket was. Um, See, I uh, didn't know that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I knew that I knew the forums existed. I would just pop in and lurk, so I didn't go deep into it. So to learn that you guys were all moderators too, I, I had no idea. Yeah, so we all had different threads we would handle, huh. and um, yeah, it was crazy, man, back in the day. Like, because I remember being kind of intimidated by the board too, because there was just thousands and thousands of people on there. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, which seems crazy now, because like, where does that exist anymore? You know, it doesn't. It's doesn't. gone. Yeah, it's like I missed gone. that shit. It was so tight back in the day. You know? And then you had uh, Tristan Eaton's brother, Matt Eaton, who was fucking hilarious. And he handled the, um, what was it? It was like the, the trash bin, like, threads. And so it was all this, like, all the things that were too crazy for everything else would end up there. It was like the, you know? the kitchen sink <laughs> category. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, and it's like anything goes in that department. And you yeah. guys, you guys kind of fought, like, in that... I, I, maybe I'm getting confused with Circus Postures, but you guys also had in the Kid Robot Forums categories just for yourselves as well, right? So you had General Toy Talk, Dunnies, 
kitchen sink, and then did you have ones for yourselves? Yeah, they, they would have. Um, some people had their own like full dedicated dorms. Other ones were threads within different stuff, stuff okay. things like that. And you know, um, I don't think I was official enough to have my own like that, but there was a thread for sure. It's just a shame all that history is lost because there was a lot of stuff in there, a lot of pin threads, just a lot yeah. of information on there. I don't know if it's on sitting on some server somewhere, but like you're talking about just having all of your vinyl addiction episodes, it's just kind of a time capsule. And that's kind of what, even if people still aren't, weren't utilizing the forums enough for Kid Robot to keep it around, just to, just it being there to, for someone to go to and just yeah. spend a few hours doing a deep dive in, it would have been fun for people. I hadn't even thought about it in a long time, but yeah, it was good times back in the day. No, and I, I can attest to that, Gary. I was that person who found the forums. I was like, this looks kind of old, but what is this? And I was perusing around, and you just find these threads, and it's so intriguing seeing like the for sale threads and these toys that people were trying to swap or trade, and it's you know forever years old, but it's kind of cool because. Yeah. Like you could be like, oh, that thing retailed for like thirty bucks. No way! So yeah, it's it was, ridiculous. It really is like a little time capsule, but it was fun to peruse. So it it it's a bummer when they people kind of scrap that stuff and you kind of lose those bits of history that were out there mm-hmm. on the interweb. Yeah, no, it's nuts. I mean, I imagine if if you could find any of it, they have those like I think there's certain pages where you can go like back in time to like any website. Um, yeah, way back. So we could do that. I guess technically we could look up how it was back in the day. <laughs> so, so Gary, we're talking about this back in the day stuff, and I've yeah. heard names like Toy Cube and Ad Functure, and so what? And then I'm a little familiar with Kuso Vinyl, but these were all production companies. Yeah, which is kind of funny because today I think a lot of people today we're talking about Toy Cube. I think a lot of people think that like they're just a new company. I don't know if they just kind of fell off for a little bit, but no, they were doing. To- Actually, Jesse, I think one of your first toys I remember you doing it was in a. You remember a, kind of like a resin series called Kaniza? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Teresa, these were. It was kind of like a resin. Uh, it was kind of a heavier piece, but it was uh, a blind box series where it was basically in an organic shape for the body, but then it had a cap, like a head that you can pull off. So the artist would design the entire figure, but it would also separate. So when you would remove the cap, there was also more designs underneath the cap. It was a cool little series, but that was the first time I remember. I think it's the first time I really noticed your work. I think you did like this hammerhead looking toy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was the hammerhead was the base. And I think that was one of the, the earlier versions of like my death serpent character. And um, on like a, a piece there, because yeah, then the pop would, the uh, the head will pop off, and then there was a skull underneath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, but that was a fun um, platform for sure. And yeah, Toy Cube. <laughs> I mean, they were so that was when he was up in uh, New York, I believe. They're out of Texas now. Um, and so, but yeah, they're doing all types of craziness now. And at the time, yeah, they had we actually we filmed there for Vinyl Addiction back in the day, and uh, it was out in um, was it Queens. I think it was uh, Queens or the Bronx. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Queens. Yeah, so he had like a, a dope like boba shop that was also a toy store. Uh, we were playing uh, like Street Fighter in there. I think I was playing Kano. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, this is bro. We we battling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember you guys. You and Kano did a show back in the day at MPH or My Plastic Heart. I yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I think that was the first time I had been in, in New York for any art stuff like that. And so, yeah, we did the uh, two-man show of My Plastic Art. That was good times. And um, so he picked me up from the airport. Maybe he didn't have a license. I don't know. Um, but we're driving around <laughs> in the snow. And, you know, it was good times. <laughs> That's my dude right there. What up, Kano? Gary, I'm looking up these kinesis. I have never... I, these aren't familiar, but these are fun. They need to bring these back. Yeah, right? right? That was a fantastic series. That was... Uh... So you mentioned Keith Poon and um, actually Clem. Clem, he was a part of that with Big Shot Toy Works. Clem, if you're listening to this, I know we say that we're always going to have you on and we never do. It's not an ongoing joke. We will make it happen. It's just just, just hang in there. But yeah, the Kinesis series, I had a few of them. I, I still want the Mike Burnett one, the Bull one. I haven't tracked that one down, but I have the Julie West one. The only downside to those, Teresa, was that when the cap would attach to the body, sometimes they would stick together really well. That was almost hard to pull apart. And then because of that, sometimes you would get scratch paint on the body portion of the finger. Ah, uh, they could fix that now, though. These are so fun. And now, okay, now I got to ask because, of course, I went down a rabbit hole and <laughs> I found uh, like a collage of, of toys by you, Jesse. One yeah. is One is your... Sorry, what was it? Kinesa? Kinesa. One is your Jaguar 8-inch Dunny. And then next to it is this, like, robot? Okay, I'm uh, going to save it and put it in our chat because I... Is it a super tall, skinny robot? It's, like, like got a... Yeah, it's, like, tall, but then, like, the middle section of the body between the legs and the chest is, like, just, like, a little rod. That might be uh, the, uh, the the canty robot I was talking about. Okay, it should be in there. I want to know yep, what that yep. tall. So what is that? So that's the uh, that's the canty robot that um, I was saying. So that was my first production piece. Was that one? Oh, um, so that... I have never seen that before. Yeah, no, that's back in the day. Yeah, like I said, they only made a hundred of them, and um, so yeah, this is uh, where'd you find this picture? Yeah, Francis Ramo. Teresa <laughs> <laughs> can, oh, can go down some rabbit holes. This is what happens when you start. I just Googled Toy Cube Kinesa and I'm like, okay, yeah. what's this? And you start perusing and like the, this whole, like the older side of designer toys. I mean, I've delved pretty far, but I'm still constantly surprised. And we always talk about George and Gary educating me more and, you know, mentioning <laughs> some toy I've not heard of because I'm always surprised. I think I know everything. And then suddenly here i'm looking at these things i'm like i haven't seen these these are so fun so it's like ah, right on ah, it'd be so f- i really think this would be a series that could be resurrected today the kinesis with this sort of idea of these different heads that can pop off that could totally work today i think no so. it could absolutely happen yeah. you bring it back bro that's an action and i kind of an interesting question you propose is what back in the day maybe it wasn't successful back then but could it be resurrected today? Because, you know, a lot of that stuff, early stuff, was kind of had that urban flair. And then for a while there, it seemed like no one was doing that, ur- you know, that urban stuff anymore. But it seems like it's making a comeback. No, absolutely. And especially in the last year or so. Yeah, yeah is there no, any? There's, there's a lot of stuff is coming there, for sure. Is there anything, Jesse, you recall from the, the old days where you're like, man, that was great. And I'd love to see it come back. Oh, man. that's a... Your stuff or not, just anything. That's a tough one. Let's see. I'm trying to look around. Um, so I always collected uh, Tim Sue. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he had a, a toy called Day. 
Um, and so it, it always, it was this dope, different monkey characters he would sculpt with, uh, you know, they had like spray paint in their hands, stuff like that. And so he had done like a large series of those. And uh, yeah, I always collected those. Oh, there's one, um, the Big Buddy, Mark oh, 27. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, cause that came out the first, um, series was off the hook and i know he made a second series but i don't think it ever came out so yeah the big buddy bring that one back i think even mad mad can bring back the mad l oh absolutely yeah the mini mad l's produced yeah. the one i made bro back in the day what's up yeah it was a great form <laughs> yeah Daniel, wow, he, he y'all are killing it. me i can't visualize any of this <laughs> <laughs> you said tim tim sue what was the tim sue one yeah, Tim Sue, it's uh, ape, D-A-A-P-E. Like like the ape, but it's, you know, more urban, so it's the ape. Ah, uh, I gotcha. Yeah. And it's funny, because even, like, over time, that one changed. So the original figure was called the ape, but then over time, they started calling it the Kong, because he was, like, the King Kong one. They And there was a Tower Records exclusive, like, back in the day. God, oh, I um, forgot about Tower Records doing yeah. toys. Bro, yeah, that was the other source, other than Kid Robot was Tower back then. Jesus. This is a time trip. Bro, yeah, ah. we haven't talked about anything current at all. We're fully 10, <laughs> 12 years ago this whole time. <laughs> Which so, is cool, too, I guess, right? No, no. We, well, we should definitely get talking about some of the newer stuff. It, yeah, it, it's kind of nice to go back and talk about some of the older stuff. But we, we should we're, probably... talking about, we're talking about vinyl when vinyl was vinyl, not when <laughs> people say pop. Which is really weird to me now because people are like, oh, what are these pops? And I'm like, what are you talking about? But now, I mean, I've, I've come to kind of accept it. At first, I was really hesitant. But now it's kind of like, all right, there's a whole new crew of people that only understand this sort of scene as that. So I guess it's cool to allow the term, you know? <laughs> like, no, this, this just shows how uninformed the convention attendees can be. Like, just, this is, pop is not a universal term for all vinyl toys. Like This is kind of like um, saying all die-cast cars are Hot Wheels or all tissue paper is Kleenex. It's not that. They're different. So we can't right. let the, the pop become like a blanket term for all toys. It's not... It's, they're totally... We have to distinguish that because a pop is a... It's a brand. It's a, a Funko. It is a pop culture collectible. And all other toys are something that aren't pop. They're different. So it's... We should separate that. Yeah. Anyway, this whole conversation is making me realize, Jesse, we haven't talked about you at all and your style. I was just, and we're thirty-five minutes in. I was just gonna yell at you for that. I know. I'm, that's my bad. Can that's I, my bad. Like, if you don't yeah, know, well, this is terrible. What are you doing? <laughs> What's well, the thing? Like, we've been we've been kind of talking through this, but you know, we I think we mentioned at the beginning that your like your artist handle is Urban Aztec, yeah. and some people when they create a handle, like it doesn't have any relevance, right? It's just a thing. Like that's just what their artist name is or whatever they want to go by. But for you, when you say your urban Aztec. I mean, to me, that's like a dead-on descriptor of what your work actually is. It's a combination of urban influence and Aztec culture. So it's it's yeah, just yeah. what it is, right? No, it's it's legit. Exactly what you're going to be looking at for the most part. You know, I mean, I have other styles too, but that's the style people know. You know, and, and that I normally work in. So yeah, you know, most of my stuff is reflective of that. And when I try to diversify, sometimes people are like, "Who did that?" I'm like, "Yeah, that was me too." But all right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you got your thing uh, now, yeah, yeah. now the, you know the which whole is hard enough a- to do right yeah 
Well, for sure. And the whole, or like the whole, um, you know, Aztec aesthetic that you've got throughout a lot of your toys and even your murals and, and your other work. But is there a personal story there? Like, were you just attracted to that style and that history or, or what? Like, what, what caused you to want to go down that path and sort of adhere to those, that different style? So for me, um, I think it just kind of started happening. So it's like, well, the, the Aztec culture all would come out, which is basically just a reflection of my own roots, right? Being of uh, Quetzalcoatl. And then the Jaguar Knight, which is like the, uh, the, the ancient, almost military of the Aztec culture, um, the Eagle Knights and the Jaguar Knights. Um, and so, you know, each one is kind of almost like a, a history lesson in a way, uh, but in a different style, in a different voice, you know, through, through yeah. my style. Um, well, you know, isn't it's a different kind of like more, I guess, current stylized representation, but still keeping the culture alive through through my work. For sure. And, and I know I, I can definitely tell because when I go when you go back through and look at whether it's old releases or newer, every single release, I feel like I find, like like you said, a little bit of a history lesson. There's always a really detailed backstory behind all your pieces you know, what you're representing, what it's about, what it's meaning versus just saying like, Hey, here's this thing. So, yeah, and, you know, and at the time, you know, back in the day, there was nothing like this. Um, you know, so it's, it's funny at times now when, um, so I didn't used to set up at, at conventions a lot for, you know, just my own stuff. I would show up, do a signing and then leave, you know, for the most part. Um, uh, but so then over the last few years, I'll show up and, you know, set up all my stuff and people are like, yo, this is crazy. Where where did this come from? It's about time someone started doing this. I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for like 15 years, you know. But you know, I I understand that. Okay, maybe I've never you know set it up around here, so you guys haven't seen it, you know. So it's always a trip. Different reactions at the different spots, and I started well, I, digressing there. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean it's well, it's one of those things too where if you read up on it and you kind of dig into it, you know, there's a history to it, but at face value, there's just, there's an appeal to this aesthetic in general. Right. So like you can look at it and you can just like it for what it is, but then you can dig in and kind of learn that there's yeah, yeah. more behind it, which I think is kind of cool when people can, we've talked a lot about backstories and whether or not backstories are necessary in tour releases and all that. And I think, you know, to each their own, but I always think it's fun when there's kind of a, I don't know. You can kind of merge the two together. It's not just a, an aesthetic that you've come up with. There's actually reasoning yeah, yeah, yeah. behind symbols and, and, and each, what you're like. Um, I want to say like each design. You know, I would research. You know, different you know books and 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 sculptures from you know older times and trying to like be you know accurate in in basing like what it's coming from. You know, so it's not like I'm just throwing some shit against the wall and like hoping it sticks or whatever. I want it to have you know an accurate representation even though it's kind of a, a, a different style. Uh, I want it to be based in, in reality. Yeah, it's authentic, which is great. Yeah. And I know... <laughs> For sure. Authentic, that was a way easier way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, authentic. And well, I mean, it was, it was when you first came into the scene, it was kind of that aesthetic. And then there was this bit of like a, a period almost where you disappeared a little. What was it like? A, I don't know, six years almost? It was a long period of time. What, yeah, what were you doing between... 2012 and 2018. <laughs> um, 2012, 2018. Um, let's see. Well, so from 2011 to 2014, I was working at Zynga, the oh. video game company. Yeah. They did a lot of Facebook games and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I was still doing toys at that time also. And then 
let's see. And then from 2014 on, I've been freelance. So just kind of all my own stuff. And then I want to say I was doing toys the whole time. Just whether or not they came out was a different story. Right. Like you were still designing toys, but whether they came to fruition or not is a different story. Yeah. I would pitch stuff. You know, I think we have a deal. Next thing you know, it falls through, whatever. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls you got to navigate in that game. You know, and I, and I think that was also, I, I don't want to say till 2018, but like from like 2014 <laughs> to 16, maybe there was like, I think like kind of a, a dark age period, you know, somewhere in there for the toy scene. A while where things just kind of died off. And I want to say it's around when the pops got really popular because the, the collectors that would have come to the vinyl scene, I felt like went that way instead where, you know, they didn't have to really learn, you know, about, oh, well, who's this person or what, what is their style? You know, like, I don't understand this, you know, like, I feel like the vinyl toy scene, there's a lot more thought that goes into it mm-hmm. you know, where it's kind of like, oh, the pop scene. Oh, hey, it's Deadpool. Cool. 10 bucks done. You know, yeah. you ain't got to think about it. Whereas like back in the day, people would come into Kiro and be like, what is this dude? Like, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. Who yeah. the hell is this artist? You know, and you'd be tripping out, like looking up, like, who's, who's this cat? Who's some graffiti dude from Singapore? Like what? Like, this is insane. I'm glad I found this, you know? And like, it was a lot more personal, I want to say. But yeah, so I think, yeah, that was kind of a weird period around then, I think, where Funko really kind of took over. Yeah. Might See, be part I of it. Never, I, never be- I never believed that because I felt like at that time, the the collectors and the designer toy scene weren't necessarily buying up the Funko Pops or anything like that. It was a it was a side thing that maybe you looked over and saw, but I don't think our collectors particularly took to it. Yeah, I think that Lowell had more to do with it being an aftermath of the recession that we went through more so yeah, yeah. than anything else. It would kind of weeded out a lot of things, you know, like and a lot of people put the blame on Funko for that because that was the rise of Funko when it was the low for designer toys. Yeah, yeah. And, but today, you know, a lot, which is strange, because a lot of the Funko pop collectors from back then are now getting into designer toys. So, you know, the pops were the gateway for a lot of you know new collectors today. No, that's true, and it's the thing is, it hasn't happened before. So yeah. now this is the first time that we're seeing that. Where, um, and that's what you know, 2014 actually was the year when I was in New York Comic Con, and Toy Tokyo was all Funko, and I was like, whoa, what's going on mm. here? This used to be, you know, the gatekeeper of cause and everything else. Like, yep. this is significant. Something has changed, you know, and <laughs> that's when I knew. Um, and then so now we're kind of coming around the other side of that where that, yeah. I mean, Funko's a huge thing still. But like you said, we are starting to see where that is almost gatewaying back to vinyl where people are like, yo, what was that vinyl stuff? Like, what's going on? And when did this come out? You know, people are tripping out on older pieces again. And um, as I said, but yeah, it hadn't happened yet because what was it before there was i want to say like the vinylmation um was like the yep. only one that really stuck you know that could do the platform toy and have it work was disney yep and um, then for a little bit there was the mighty mugs too yeah and then yeah so then yeah funko was the other side now um yeah. but so yeah now i think people are really interested in the the vinyl scene again um yeah. well, you know there's what- definitely a resurgence happening now yeah. Well, what's kind of cool about the gap in a way is that there's the people who were early on in the scene who knew your work, but then there's people like me and people obviously who have come after me who may not yeah. be familiar with you. So they're seeing your stuff for the first time. So it's almost like you're a new artist again in some ways. Right. <laughs> the new stuff you're doing. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how it's weird that a lot of these guys have been around for 15 plus years. It's, you know, they kind of might have come and go, but they usually do make a resurgence and then yeah, yeah. new people discover them. But there's also a lot of artists that 
kind of did their thing in the designer toys and, and got out a few of them. Well, Pete Fowler was one. He was, he kind of got out for several years, but he's back, which is yeah. great. But there's a few others that I would love to see make a comeback. And a few of those would be like, um, Tim Biscup would be one for sure. Jay Ned, he did that one Ned creature series. Everyone seemed to love what he was doing, but he, he just did that one series and got out. Another one for me would be uh, Van Beter, who did Crappy Cat and Jamongo type stuff. They All of those guys, I think today if they made a, a comeback, a lot of new collectors would discover their work. For sure. Uh, like, uh, like when you just mentioned Tim Biscup reminded me, with this sort of thing, you have to have a toy every year or people forget you. Like, um, I remember, like, Gary Baseman, Tim Biscup, like, when I came into the scene, they were dropping toys. Everyone's like, oh, shit, this is the best shit ever. And then, like, a year or two goes by, they don't do anything. They draw something new. People are like, who's this guy? Yep. Like, what do you mean, who's this guy? That's fucking Tim Biscup, you know? And they're like, <laughs> I've never heard of him. Like, oh, shit, all right. That's so true. that's what you no. kind of learn. Like, you have to continually put stuff out or people forget you, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's a good point. I mean, you got to stay top of mind, especially yeah. with – just the way things are nowadays with, you know, the internet and Instagram and all this crap, there's so much. And we've even talked about that, like being able to keep tabs on everything that's out there and the market overseas and all that, it's nuts. And so if you're not constantly like throwing stuff up in the feed to say, Hey, I'm still here. I'm still doing stuff. You could definitely get thrown to the wayside. You just, people go in the, go in the back of your brain and you don't even think about it. No, for sure. It's crazy like that, like, you know, just trying to, you know, it's uh, it's almost like graffiti where it's like you just got to put your name up over and over, you know, (laughs) like some people. Yeah. You know, and there's yeah, I mean, there's times where all of a sudden an artist that hasn't been around a while comes back and I just had like this oh shit moment. I'm like, oh, my God, like, yeah, you're awesome. I completely forgot. Like I hadn't seen, (laughs) you know, for a couple of years, but like, yay, glad you're back. Do stuff. So about- we should do like a where are they now episode, find a few people that we haven't seen from in a few years and find out what they're up to. You know, that'd be interesting. I'm sure we can put together a pretty good list. Well, even like you mentioned the Dragatomi people and there's Dragatomi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a ton. I mean, that's the thing too. When they're not top of mind, we're sitting here and it's like, who are all the people that have disappeared? And you almost kind of forget. And there's tons. There's, the amount of people you could probably come up with both whether it's a company or a person or i don't know i feel like we could make a giant list but you all would be much better at that than me because i'm still (laughs) new i'm a newbie compared to you all (laughs) you know it's crazy how many people have you know hopped in and hopped out over the years that like yeah you know um like say even quicks like when he jumped in um the first thing i saw from him was the shogun warrior of the uh stormtrooper I don't know if you guys remember that piece, but it was the resin custom. And I was like, yo, what is this right here? Um, and actually, there's supposed to be a tech collab with me and Quicks coming up pretty soon here. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, me and Quicks been trying to collab for a long time. And there is, there's been one or two done. There's one that's actually supposed to happen. So hopefully soon. Dude, that piece is going to be, that, that's going to be fire. That's a, a collaboration that makes sense. Uh, he's working with Kid Robot as well as of recently. And speaking of which, that six years that we mentioned, I think that's why we mentioned it was a six-year hiatus because it was basically just on your um, time with Kid Robot. It seems like since 2007, you were working with them every single year up until 2012, and then you had this break between 2012 and 2000. 
18. Um, and that's probably just because they had, they were going through their own thing. They moved to Colorado. They're going through some management changes and art director changes and whatnot. But so yeah. your last series with them might've been 2012, but then you had, uh, it was yeah. another release back with them, which was the, Oh, I don't want to pronounce this name. Damn it. The eight inch Tlaloc. <laughs> I'll take it, bro. That was good. <laughs> just, just try to say the TL like at the same time. And then from there. <laughs> oh man we had this kind of, we had this thing going on last week jesse we were talking about the word gaijin right and apparently okay. people were letting us know this is not a great word to say it's really just a a term for foreigner but apparently in some sectors some people think that's kind of a derogatory word it has a, a negative connotation in some sort of way it's almost like you're a stupid idiot foreigner not just a Normal for but we couldn't figure out how to pronounce it. And so Teresa going back and forth, she was recording her trying to say Gaijin over and over and over. And I guess you finally became a master of it, but it took it took you a few shots. Yeah, it's not just Gaijin, it's Gaijin. Gaijin. <laughs> but we won't be using that word because it is derogatory, apparently. So Yeah. But t- what is it? T- t- lock? T- t- oh god. <laughs> it's Tlaloc. There's no W in there. Twala. No. <laughs> All right. The so, L is a W in this case. So you had that six-year period. When and how was it? You know, getting back. Was it Kozik that got you back into the Kid Robot fold and I'll maybe unlock some toys that you already had previously designed? Uh, let's see. So we had. Uh, yeah. So I mean, Kid Robot itself went through a lot of changes. Yeah. There's a lot of stores closing. Um, you know, like, uh, the, you know, Dragatomi used to be around, you know, Outland. A lot of people that had brick-and-mortar stores, they, it became really hard to get by. And um, everything went either online or people shifted their focus. And then, so, yeah, with Kid Robot, I want to say every time we had a new art director, it was like you were starting over. Yeah. You know, for the most part, you know. And, yeah, finally, was it last year they hit me up? Um, I know my boy Omar from Iron Retro was hitting up uh, a lot, too, to, to do some stuff with me. What's up, dog? And, um you might have noticed he had an exclusive of the Tlaloc, the the green super rare, mm-hmm. and um, but so he was pushing a lot, and then um, yeah, we finally got the um, the the Tlaloc got put back on the slate. That one was cut, I think, back in 2014. Um, it was supposed to happen um, back in the day, and then the five inch dunnies with a uh, Footlocker, which was and, called oh, Pop yeah. Pop by Footlocker. How strange is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Pop by Footlocker. There you go. And, <laughs> and so that whole thing was a trip too because it was supposed to be for like a Hispanic Heritage Month thing and then they didn't really promote it as that it just kind of appeared like alright here's these toys bam you know and um, so people were kind of like wait where did this come from you know and uh, but that was a trip like just marketing wise were all so three of those the the 8 inch Twalock and then the 2 5 inch with Foot Locker were all those old designs that had been cut or set aside or were the Foot Locker ones new <laughs> Um, so the Tlaloc was uh, an older one that had already been done. And then so that just was like, hey, you know, we have a slot. Can we put it in here? Yep, done. Let's go. And then um, the five inches were both um, designs I did like at the beginning of the year. And then they came out that year. Okay, cool. I remember us talking about those five inch dunnies actually on a, a Marsham episode when yeah. we first saw the news. Because one, it was weird for me, at least, seeing Foot Locker selling toys. and. Right. You know, and I get it, right? Like, shoes and the collector side of that is kind of delves into the urban toy things. There's a bit of a crossover. But what was really intriguing, I think, for us is seeing 
the amount of detail, especially in the Jaguar design, uh, the amount of colors and layers and detail and how that must have been pad printed. We remember looking at it thinking like, wow, like that's the fact that they were able to get all that in there was really, really cool. Yeah. No, it was insane. And, I want to say there was 16 colors in that or something like that. Did you get any pushback on that? Did you have to fight for it or was it just a green light from the get-go? Not really. Um, I might have knocked off a couple colors, but overall they were just like, cool, yeah, do it. Nice. And, and yeah, I mean, like the, the printing is super precise. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And at that five-inch scale was weird to look at too, you know, having gone from three-inch and eight-inch to that in-between five. I'm like, whoa, this is weird. Like, <laughs> That's right. I'm not used to seeing them at this scale, you know? Yeah. Um, or, or a 20, now, I guess, has always been around. Was working on those newer ones and like the it seemed like you had more freedom but and obviously it's a different size but do you feel like um compared to like doing the the dunnies you did back early on with kid robot compared to these do you feel like you were a lot more limited before they kind of grown in the the types of things they could do in the design um i definitely think that um there was a lot less pushback so yeah you really could do more um I think I was limited on accessories, but print-wise, they could do anything, you know, for the most part. And I, I think I remember seeing people doing, like, you know, gradient fades even. We're like, yo, what are you, you can do that? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, like, who the hell allows gradients now? Like, what? And, um, yeah, well, and then your 8-inch got a crap ton of sculpting. Right. Yeah, no, that that was insane. Like, so everything they added to that, um, and it came out perfect. And that's the other thing, too, that's changed. So in the beginning, um, in the beginning, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> so in the early days of the, uh, in the early days of the vinyl scene, everything was hand sculpted, whereas now all the designs are being done in three D and yeah. then printed and sculpted from there. Yeah. So the evolution of so, the dunny has changed a lot because of three D printing. I, I would assume it's the three D printing because early on, you know, most of the dunny platform just use it as the the platform was the form, and now you're getting new head sculpt, new body sculpts. Sometimes the things don't even look like dunnies anymore. Yeah, no, it's a trip. Like, because I remember when they started adding, like, back in the days, you could get, like, maybe one accessory if mm-hmm. you were lucky. And then it started becoming, like, oh, you get, like, something on the head, another thing they're holding, and it just kept getting crazier and crazier. But yeah, and then they would try to limit colors at the beginning a lot, too. Uh, whereas then now, yeah, obviously they're just kind of like, yeah, dude, let it run. That shit will be tight. Yeah, 16 yeah. with a UV, uh, UV reactant. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's been fun too. Yeah, yeah, doing a lot of blacklight stuff these days. Yeah, well, glows and all that. And I mean, I just, in a way, it's like, I kind of, if you were to think about the design you made and what it would be like off paper, in a way, the fact that it was delayed a bit may have been for the better because they had more capabilities and could make it what you envisioned. Because you're right. Back in the day, they weren't really doing a whole lot of sculpting. Most of the time, it was just the base dunny shape. And then here they are, and they came out with this badass-looking dunny for you. It was. <laughs> I'm going to title this episode Back in the Day. For real, I think I've said it like 30 <laughs> times now. <laughs> you, know, you know how old you all sound? Like, there's me just sitting here, and you're all like, well, it sounds like my grandpa. Well, back in the day, we walked... <laughs> Cool. Eight miles in a snowstorm. We're not that bad. <laughs> Come on now. Back in my day, we get a car's toy for a dollar. Back in my day, I used to shop at stores like Red Hot Robot, Rivet, and Dragatomi. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, we should probably mention our store sponsors actually. So let's take a brief break and not yeah, mention yeah. some of our sponsors. So 
um, for all your designer toy needs, wants, and desires, you can visit three great stores. First off is Strange Cat Toys. Go to strangecattoys.com, load up that cart, and be sure to use our promo code MARSHAM at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off that entire order. If you happen to be in the New York City area, say for uh, New York Comic Con next month, you should check out My Plastic Heart. Or you can visit them online at MyPlasticHeart.com. If you live in the States and spend $75 or more, be sure to use our promo code TOYFAM at checkout and you'll receive free shipping on that order. Or if you're on the West Coast and happen to be in the Burbank adjacent area, you can visit 3D Retro or you can visit 3DRetro.com online. And to stay on top of all the latest and greatest in designer toy news, be sure to like and follow SpankyStokes.com and thetoychronicle.com. And if you guys haven't seen the newly revamped The Toy Chronicle website, be sure to check it out. You can now be a member. You get lots of exclusive and perks by being a member there. You can now uh, post content to the website. You can join the forums and uh, a bunch of other cool stuff. So be sure to check it out. I'll get him back and talking about those five inch dunnies. Like that was another release that won. That one was the Foot Locker in Times Square. Humongous banners. Like you've had some really amazing uh, release and signing parties. Yeah, that was wild, man. Um, you know, again, I had no idea that that sign was even there until I got there. I'm like, oh man, I need a shot of this. It was kind of like uh, back in the day they had a. I said it again. <laughs> I need a back in the day counter. Ding. You know. Um, but uh, so uh, way back in the day, <laughs> uh, at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, there was a kid robot pop up. I remember and, that. Um, so they had like uh, Kozik did a piece there. Um, Alex Pardee painted a wall in there. Um, I think Terry McPherson, Junko Mizuno. And so I did like a live uh, painting there. You know, they asked me for some graphic or whatever. And I sent them, you know, I didn't know what it was for. I sent them like the Jaguar warrior head. And that ended up being on the marquee of the Cosmopolitan. And I was like, what? I, I remember seeing happen? a photo of that, yeah. yeah. And, but again, it was like, I had no clue. And then so as I was in there painting, some people came in and were like, yo, we saw you you on the sign. I didn't know you were here, so we came in to check it out. Damn. And I'm like, wait, there's a sign? You know, <laughs> yeah, so fully ran outside, got a picture of it afterwards. You know? That's awesome. And, um, yeah, it's a trip, man. Like, see, a lot of times you never really know what's – gonna happen in this whole art thing you know the cross whatever medium you're doing um did a project with gears of war a while back and uh for gears of war 4 and that one just kept kind of like we so we did these rockstar cans that ended up getting distributed like i think they made two million of each can this is the energy drink rockstar yeah 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 Yeah, rockstar energy drink and so then it had the artwork that we did for um for rockstar on it and then if you pop the top you got a code for our design on the guns in the game cool. and it, but it was fully like something we didn't know was going to happen at the time and then it did We're like oh shit it's dlc now that's what's up you know and that was uh me and um hydro 74 had two of them and god machine but yeah no that was super sick and um yeah so what was i saying that was just an example of things that you didn't expect happening yeah exactly know? yeah <laughs> It seems like a lot of doors is open just from designer toys. I mean, I know you were also very popular from mural work and everything, but does, do you feel like designer toys have opened up other avenues of, of work for you? For sure. I mean, I think the whole, um, just the idea of like putting your style on something else is something that a lot of the people from the vinyl scene, I think, have adapted to everything, really. It's kind of like, oh, you know, what would your style be like on 
you know, this whatever robot piece or, you know, how would you how would you do like a mural over here? Or how, you, know, I, you know, I think everybody's kind of like doing their interpretation of like, you know, how do you see yourself on this, you know, like baseball or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and like I feel like the way the designer toy thing was, you know, you get used to people's style on different stuff. And then it's like, where can you have that crossover to different places? you know right. uh, I guess yeah crossover was the word I was looking for the whole time and just kept babbling until it came out well, <laughs> speaking speaking of crossovers I mean you've now delved into recently the the world of Marvel Marvel yeah <laughs> is Marvel the right property no DC Iron Man and Wolverine sorry. that's DC Teresa sorry that's <laughs> So fix that. So speaking of crossovers, no, we're you're messing now with you. No, that's more. That is, we're messing with you. That's Marvel. Oh my god, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're an easy target. <laughs> I know because I don't know anything. But no, I mean you're doing now. Like now that you've gotten pulled under unruly, they're letting you do uh, the, the things that we've been able to see come out of them with all the different licenses and stuff has been nuts. And those busts that you did for Iron Man and Wolverine are crazy. No, right on. Yeah, yeah, that's just, I mean, it's a trip, man. Like, that whole thing. I mean, as, like, a, a comic nerd growing up, like, it's, like, fully life gold event to have happen. It's insane. Now, licenses aren't generally, they can be pretty stingy, and I've heard that Marvel is a pretty tricky one. So the fact yeah. that they allowed you to do what you do and completely re-envision and translate their, their popular characters into uh, the bus that you did, that's amazing. I mean, that's saying a lot to you and your work. It's crazy, man. Like, and there was relatively no pushback on those that's as well. Amazing. Um, you know, I was just like, Hey, here's my design. And they're like, cool, done. Like the only thing that they changed on the Wolverine, the original design had a, a cross on the head, uh, which was a, you know, an homage to Ray Mysterio okay, uh, or Ray Mysterio jr. So they said, you know, we, we can't have just like a big cross on the marble piece. I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine, you know. Um, and so I had I switched it up and put the Naviolin symbol of movement um, okay. up on the head that was originally on the chin, and that was the only real change that they made me do. So how did how did that work? Did Unruly reach out to you and just say, hey, we want to pull you in and get you on some stuff? No, it was just good timing, really. Um, so the Iron Man toy was originally supposed to be with Flab Slab. And then that fell through for whatever reason back in the day. Again, back in the day, sorry. <laughs> ding. <laughs> ding. I'll just start dinging it through. Um, and then, um, uh, and I believe I, I pitched them both to, uh, to Kid Robot also before that, but they were a little, you didn't want to deal with the Marvel license. And so then I sent them to uh, my friend Dave Igo, who works over at Sideshow Collectibles, and was like, hey, bro, do you guys think you know, anyone would be interested in this over there? And he said, yeah, let me see what's up, you know? And and at this time, I didn't know about Unruly or anything like that either. And he's like, hey, you know, we're actually starting like a vinyl program over here. And these would be sick, like wow. to, to work on. And so it's like really dope that you reached out. And yeah, dude, they'd love to work with you. And um, so just kind of from there that, you know, he sent an email with some of my designs and they're like, yeah, let's do it. And by the way, do you want to bring any other of your older designs back? And so that's when we started doing the uh, the Unruly variant for the McLon toy. That's right. Yeah, because it was a Cuso did the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So we had done um, in 2010. I think we dropped the the McLean with Cuso, and so we had done like a ton of variations. And again, that one there was no 3D sculpt of either, so they had to redo it. Um, That's and, crazy. 
that, I think that's, that was, uh, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just say that's just to me like a lesson, like for people out there, like if you like, there's no harm in you being the one to reach out and saying, Hey, you dig this? Want to do this? Want to make yeah. this? You know, the fact that yeah. you were the one who kind of just said, Hey, you want this? And they're like, yeah, actually we do. It's really cool. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, and, and like you said, I mean, on the real, like, you know, I had shown it to a few people and they all had kind of backed down. I was like, dang, well, I guess it's not going to happen. Well, and then, well, I've never asked my other buddy about this stuff. Maybe I'll see what they think. And then it just happened to land. And I was like, oh, shit, for real? Dope. I yeah. Had no idea that that could happen, but I was just hoping maybe, you know. Well, and um, the fact that they, they, they give you so much creative freedom is. Yeah. Oh, it just makes them so much better because it's not like you're fighting with a license. And we've heard stories like that where right. there's just butting heads of between the artist vision and the license and all these rules and restriction. At the end of the day, what comes out isn't really what you want. So the fact yeah. that it's what you envisioned essentially minus a, a minor tweak is so cool. Well, I think that was the key too, is to how already have it be done. You know, it's like, all right, here it is. This is the, here's the turnaround. This is exactly what it is. What do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, it's tight. Let's do it. You know? And I think if I had just like pitched an idea, who knows what would have happened, but having the design already done kind of like sealed the deal. Yeah. yeah it was funny. They were like, Hey, yeah. Um, you know, our CEO like loves your your Darth Vader custom you did, man. Do you still have that? And I was like, nah, but I'll paint another one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if he's if he wants it, man, let's make it happen. Because that was back in the the Vader project. Um, That's right, the, the old helmet, the, the custom helmets. Boy. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> Wait, what are y'all talking about? Custom helmets. So DKE had a custom Darth Vader helmet exhibit. That traveled around, and then I saw it in San Diego Comic Con, like 2007. No, I want to say it was like like 2009 ish. No, not like no, 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 no. I can't be that late. Well, I was a later edition. Oh, you're a later edition. Okay, wasn't in the first one. Okay, uh, gotcha. I was in the expansion pack. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, all these artistries that just were given a. Uh, a Darth Vader helmet, like a real Darth Vader helmet, and they were yeah. know, customized them. No, it was fully intimidating, too. Like, I'm like, this is the real thing. I don't even want to mess with it. Like, I, I just bet. want to look at it, you know? Yeah, those were, like, the real deal, authentic movie replicas. These were not small five-inch things. Yeah, I wanted to say it was, like, 20, 22 inches tall, something like that. Like, yeah. super mega helmet, and it's, like, thick resin. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, just even, like starting to approach a design for it was like super intimidating because i, I want to say like just the helmet costs like a thousand dollars for the helmet oh, sheets. And you're like man, man i don't want to mess this thing up yeah <laughs> dude i, I would have been ko'd by when i saw that invitation but you you just took it on like a champ and knocked that shit out <laughs> they, yeah, no and, and so then so it they i was in the show when i think when it went to japan and then also to george lucas and then they had a, a final show in la and then also at the Andy Warhol Museum before they then auctioned them off. Um, and then they made a book of it also. Do you know where where yours ended up? I don't. They sold it at the auction. Hmm. I don't know who has it. I wish I knew who had it. Um, oh, man. Yeah, but, I know what yeah. you mean, though, because I've, I've had some customers where I don't know where they ended up. But every once in a while, you see one on Instagram. Someone's taking a photo of their collection. You're like, ah, oh, that's who has it. But on the on the flip side of that, sometimes you see when your stuff cha- changes hands, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like um, yeah. I painted a uh, a four foot dunny for I think Aaron Brothers back in 2011, 
And so then it, it popped up on eBay a couple years back, and the dude was trying to sell it for like thirty grand. And I was like, "Whoa! Oh, jeez! All right, well, I hope somebody buys it for that. <laughs> you just made the price go up, man. So now I can charge ten and not even be worried about it." <laughs> like the, those dunnies are twenty five now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this could not have been all smooth sailing for you, though, Jesse. I mean, your work is it's pretty intricate. It's got, it's got some complexity to it. So I imagine. Not every company could, uh, you must have had some pushback at some point. So how many pieces do you think you've designed over the last 12 years or so? Do you think probably we never ended up seeing the light of day in production? Probably a third. Okay. Something like oh, that. wow. Do you get Indeed. paid out for a majority of those? A lot of people are always wondering when you're a part of a series. No, because um, most of the time, you know, in, in, I mean, not necessarily the way it is now, but back in the day, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I want to say like most of the time you were just kind of like you were putting it out there trying to get it made and then you didn't get anything until it came out. That's right. Yeah. So you might be waiting a year. You might be waiting two years. You never know. It might never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, in most contracts, it's kind of like, you know, this isn't a promise. It will happen. But if it does, this is, you know, what you get, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a bunch of stuff that, that I would pitch or, or do designs for. Um, a lot of, you know, the platform toy stuff, you do a design for someone that may or may not happen. And I want to say, yeah, I mean, for everything that has happened, definitely you've taken a few losses along the way every time, you know. So for every like uh, like high moment on the roller coaster, I feel like you get kicked in the teeth two or three times, you know. Right. Are you still collecting today? Um, it's super rare, yeah. but yes, uh, just because I have so much stuff, like there's nowhere to put anything. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta get a storage unit like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you recall maybe some of the last pieces you bought? Let me see. Uh, yeah, some of the the last stuff. I got a couple of things from Quicks recently. I got the Skeletor from Mondo. Um, okay. What else we got here? Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a minute though, but those, I think those are the last acquisitions I remember getting. Is most of what you have on display back in the day toys? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So probably half of it. Um, so I have like three cases, like over time too, like as you make more stuff, those take over the case and you kick out your older collection. So I had three like D12 cases that were all just black, uh, monotone vinyl that I collected. Because that was kind of my favorite colorway would be things that were, you know, black, white, silver. Um, and so, like, I, I called it the blackout case or whatever. So, But I had, like, three cases of different toys like that. And then now, like, I want to say, like, the first row across the whole thing is just mine. Um, and so but there's other ones that have been displaced that are, you know, like, in a closet or whatever. But <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff on display at my house for sure, though. Back to what Gary was asking about, you know, stuff not seeing the light of day. For the stuff that did eventually get produced, because of a lot a lot of your stuff being complex, especially yeah. for the things that were made years ago, was there a lot of sacrifices where, like, you'd come present an idea and they'd say, well, look, we can do this, but we can't do everything? And do you feel like it's gotten better over time? So... Yeah, it's tough, too, because I'm, like, a super perfectionist about everything. And so, like, every little detail, like, I'll always be like, yo, we need to fix this. Can we fix that? Whatever. Until they cut me off, I'm going to keep asking for changes. <laughs> you know? Because like, I'm just trying to get it as close to, like, perfect as we can. 
And um, but yes, yeah, so I always had a joke too. Like they, they hated me at the factories in China because I had so many paint ops on all my stuff. You know, I'm like, oh, dude, they hate me in China, bro. You know, like, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, you know, this that dude with his 300 paint applications again can only hire our best people because of this guy. But <laughs> and um, but yeah, so a lot of times uh, at the beginning, I feel like they did push back a lot more. And then whereas now it seems like. For the most part, everyone's just kind of like, yeah, dude, do your thing. Yeah, we got it. No problem. Especially working with, like, Unruly and Sideshow now. I mean, it's yeah. their, their stuff's insane. Like, it's all the best, you know, sculptors, painters, everything. And everyone there is, like, you know, top of their game in each field. Like, this is the dopest person that, that sews, you know, clothing for the toy. This is the dopest photographer. This is the dopest everything. Like, I feel like anyone you talk to is like, oh, shit, you work here too? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, like... <laughs> It's crazy. Like, everyone's super talented. But, yeah, so I feel like, yeah, with all that stuff, like, I want to say whatever I'm doing is really not even that complex com- compared to what they do with their statues, you know, or, or they're, like, fully posable, you know, 100 different hands and heads, you know, versions of their toys that they do. Mine are probably simple in yeah. comparison, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, I think the capabilities that say, like, Kid Robot also, they've definitely gone through the roof compared to where it used to be. Um, and I, I assume that's just from working with different factories at this point, too. Yeah, and technologies and stuff. I mean, yeah, you know. Things have definitely changed. Yeah, because now you can see, like, a, a printed output of a design where before you would just have to make one. I mean, it is crazy. I, so where I work, we can see 3D renders. You can talk. You can come into work in the morning and say, hey, you know, we saw this. We need to, you know, can you sculpt this up? And within probably about four hours, you're seeing the thing fully rendered, 3D, send it down to the printer. It's just crazy the fast turnaround and how much innovation and technology has changed our field. It's, yeah. It's nuts. Wait, so where do you work, Gary? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm a creative director at Funko. Really? Yep. Well, shit. For the heads up on that one, bro. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's it's my bad. It's it's funny because I didn't. You were talking earlier, and I didn't want to stop and ruin the whole conversation. But yeah, it's I just love designer toys. I I really love all toys of all kinds. So I didn't feel the need to really stop and and say where I worked and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy that you're at Funko now. What? Like, okay, wait, so where? Uh, what office are you at? So I work out of the um, the headquarters in Everett, Washington. Okay, so you are up there. All right. Yep. Do you know my boy uh, Ben Butcher? Oh yeah, I know Butcher. Yeah, I, I see him uh, on a pretty regular basis, almost daily. They tell him I said what's up, and when are we doing the Urban Aztec Funkos? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to rule that out. Wait, so you okay talking about the whole Funko Buster Dinosaur and all that? The idea of a crossover of you getting Urban Aztec designs in pop form, you'd be for that? I'm down with it. Yeah. My protest is over. It's okay. I've accepted it. I said I accepted the pop term. I'm, I'm okay with it now. Because I know Quix has done, like, we've seen Quix pop customs. I know Quix would be like, yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, he's doing production. terrible, right? <laughs> 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 he's not at all. He's not at all turning into the next cause. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dude, man. I love that guy. But yeah, it's just, it's. It's intriguing that the idea, like we've seen a few of them, but it would be interesting to start seeing people who have kind of rooted in our scene, yeah. their stuff being made in pop form. So it's cool for you to say, yeah, like bring it on, cross over those worlds. I'm saying like, I'm a freelance artist. I'm not against anything. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm a mercenary. 
you said you were a mercenary that you'll, you do anything. So I know you've done toys, but you've done non-toys things. And I've heard, I've seen like stuff you've done with sports teams and, Oh, someone even said that with the Oakland A's, you got to what throw out the first pitch or something? Yeah, yeah last year. Um, Did you pull a so bottle buoy? Yeah. So I, uh, it, well, that was kind of in my mindset too, though. But um, <laughs> I was like, you know, if you mess up, then you know, at least it'll you'll it'll go more. You know, like you, it might go viral if you do really bad at this. Do really you know, so. bad. That's what I told myself. So it'll either it'll be good and no one will care, or it'll be bad and everyone will care. For the you listeners, know. Baba Booey is the producer of the Howard Stern Show, and he did a first pitch. And you can YouTube search this. Just search Baba Booey first pitch, and it was the one of the probably top five most horrific first pitches. Like <laughs> yeah, it was an absolute fail. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like the 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 fifty cent one where you just that's like, just as bad. Yes, completely the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I so last year um, I did the uh, the shirt for the Native American Heritage Night for the Oakland A's, and so as part of that, I got to throw out the first pitch, and so that whole thing was a trip, man. Like when I went out there, I didn't know you can you throw from the mound or are you supposed to throw from in front because it looks like people normally throw it from the front. So when mm-hmm. I got there, I asked, I said, "Hey, bro, can I throw it from the mound?" They're like, "Yeah, absolutely." I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." They're like, "Yeah, most people just don't want to throw it that far." Oh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> So I get up there and I threw a knuckleball, which I don't know. You Show know, off. Anyone that doesn't know baseball, it's when you put like, you know, two to three knuckles up against the ball and you actually push it instead of snap it. So then it does like a, it dances and breaks the whole way there instead of being straight. But so when I started gripping it, the catcher, who's uh, Mike Aldretti, um, who I knew from when I was a kid, you know, he was a baseball player and like we look up to him and everything, which so that was that whole thing was weird, too. And then, so I started gripping the knuckle, and he's like, oh, shit, you're throwing a, a, a knuckleball? <laughs> I said, yeah, bro. And he's like, oh, damn it. And he, so he, he jumps up because he doesn't know, you know, where's, where's it going to go? You have no idea. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> and uh, so I threw it, and it, it, it floated around and, you know, broke like three, four feet left. And so he scooped it up, you know, pretty quick. And I don't know, man, it's weird. Like, it was so scary. And yet at the same time, you're like, well, what you going to do? Just, you know, like you get up there and you're like, oh, shit, I don't want to mess this up, but whatever. You know, <laughs> dude, I would choke. I would probably throw it straight into the ground like so many other people. Yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> you so would definitely not have. You would definitely <laughs> would not have stood on the mound, Gary. <laughs> no, no, I would have done the old lady when I was maybe 15 feet from the plate. Yeah. Well, and dude, like right before that, there was a nun who did this, like, baller curveball. Oh, damn. No way! She snapped it off her bicep and then threw a curveball. And it was, like, two (laughs) days before I was throwing out the first pitch. I'm like, oh, I guess I can't throw a curveball now. I feel like that one's planted just for the crowd. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so that was wild. And then, actually, the year before that, I did a jersey with the San Jose Sharks for their uh, Hispanic Heritage Night. And that one, I got to, like, drop the puck on the ice and... They gave a jersey to everyone that came to the game. It was nuts. That's awesome. It seems like you're having the time of your life. And I look at your social media feed, it just seems like you're just landing all these great clients, having a great time. It, everything just seems to be working out for you. I'm happy for you because you've been a, you spent a long time in designer toy scene. And in fact, did you still talk with a lot of people in the designer toy game? You've been for a long time. Some of the ones that kind of uh, left, like Dragon Tommy, do you still see them at all? I fully saw them this last weekend. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Um, so like now, anytime I go to Sacramento, I'm like, Hey, where are you guys at? You know, cause they're doing the, uh, the wandering Boba truck. That's right. And, um, and now they have the Lumpia truck also. 
Um, and so we went, went by to, um, they were serving at a, a football game. So we stopped by to go say what up to them cool. and uh, pick up some Lumbia because their stuff is the best. So, yep, shouts out to them. What up, Dragon Tommy fam, Joanna Ray. Yeah, but yeah, no, like, as far as being, um, like, I feel like I talked to the, you know, all the people from the toy scene, that's still my homies, like, all the time. You know, like, these are the other artists that you still work with in different mediums and across whatever, you know, like, I feel like everyone's still really active and, you know, they're the people that are still kind of our closest friends, you know? You have a favorite moment yeah. that you can think of from all the 15 years of designer toys? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That jet setting one is probably sounds pretty up there. No, that, yeah, that was good times for sure. Um, I want to say just like Comic Con in general, man, is my favorite time. Yeah. Like every time, like Comic Con is so much fun. Like it's you know that in, in Designer Con now too, man. Like it's one of the other only other times where it's like everyone is here. You're like yo, there's literally a thousand people I want to talk to right now. Yeah, it's like a huge <laughs> reunion for not collectors and the designers and, and companies, yeah. and everyone's just all in the same place. And it's almost sometimes it's overwhelming because even though it's a three day event, you still don't see everybody you want to, and you go right. home and you get a text from somebody. It's like, hey, dude, why didn't you stop by and say hello? And you're like, oh shit. You're right. Yeah. Like I did. It's not intentional. I didn't. It's just. There's just so much going on. No, yeah. exactly. And it's. I mean, it's. You know, most people are busy too, which is great. Which is yeah. what you want. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's literally like. You know, I know like everyone there. It seems you know for the most part. You know, or at least you know three quarters of of the people there are friends. You know, and you want to hang out and chop it up, see what they've been doing, and you know, like I feel like all the conventions are always like you get so recharged like seeing what people are doing and everything like, and just getting to hang out for a minute and be like, yo, what's you doing? What you've been working on? Like, Oh, that stuff's crazy. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's kind of dropping their new stuff and you know what you've been doing all year. Like, yo, I need to step my game up, you know, <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is, it is, it does make you sort of check yourself when you see everything that's going yeah. on with everybody else. What, you know, what's possible. Like, Oh, this cat's, you know, really pushing the limits over here. You know, yeah. like maybe I'm not pushing myself hard enough, you know, or whatever it is. You know, I feel like you always leave, like, recharged to come up with something more crazy every year, you know? Yeah. Are um, we going to see you at DesignerCon this year? For sure. I'll be there. Um, I don't know my booth number yet, or I'd have dropped it, but yeah, I'll be there. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> All right. And see, I'll be at uh, MondoCon next week. Um, oh, is that in so, Texas? That, yeah, in Texas. Okay. So that's going to be a trip. I've never been to their convention, so. You did the, the you did, like, a set of mugs for them, right? Yeah, so I have a, a tiki mug. Yeah, uh, those are fantastic. Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, it's been a trip working on that, man. I'm looking forward to those finally dropping. Um, I think DesignerCon will be the first um, uh, variant we'll be dropping there. Okay, cool. So they haven't dropped yet. Are they going to drop at MonoCon? Because you mentioned variant. Yeah, so I think the they'll first become available at DesignerCon. I don't okay. think they'll be available at Mondo. Okay. Uh, They'll, you know, they'll just have them on display. Uh, but so they'll be finally uh, available for purchase. Um, You've worked with everybody, man. Yeah, I'm trying, bro. I'm trying. <laughs> Use all the cool people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Any any, any uh, sneaky toy stuff coming up you want to leak on here? I had notes over there. Let me see here. The, uh, like the Wolverine and Iron Man. So that did really well uh, in the pre-orders and everything. So they don't officially come out i believe to the like first quarter of next year and um but so the kind of the success of it so far has led to you know i'm doing other characters within that line um, Ooh, so, sweet yeah looking forward to where that goes yeah so i'm working on some concepts for that 
and um, I have some other stuff in the works with uh, with Mondo, um, possibly a, a toy also. Oh, um, that's nice. Let's see where that goes. And what else we got going on? Talking about doing a hot sauce right now. What? Yeah. A hot sauce. Yeah, which would be pretty fun. A, a limited um, a limited run. We'll see how that goes. Um, talking. Yeah, well, there's a few other things that are still you know in uh, in talking stages. So we'll see uh, where it all pans out to. Um, well, since, yeah. since we're going back in the day, Jesse, one of the things that we used to do <laughs> when we would wrap up a show and an, an episode, we've been doing this for. Oh man, we're come three and a half years now. We used to do a round of lightning questions at the end of an episode. You want to do awesome. some, want to do some quick lightning questions? I'm down. Let's go. What was your favorite childhood toy? Uh, Snake Eyes from GI Joe. Nice. Favorite Patrick Swayze movie? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, that's my curveball. Okay, so I was gonna <laughs> say Roadhouse, but Outsiders. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I was like, wait, it doesn't have to be just him. Hold on, outsider. <laughs> if your house was on fire and you had to save three pieces from your collection, what would you save? Oh, man, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn it. That's tough, man. Let me walk over and look real quick. This is not a lightning round anymore. Um, I'm grabbing the Sam Flores Tiger Baby. Okay. Uh, the cause pus head companion and one more I'm grabbing the uh, the scene spray can okay which most people don't know about either from back in the day the back in the day thing spray, can- spray cans were a thing oh for sure I mean they're still a thing but yeah yeah they're- but I mean like toy themed spray cans. Yo, look okay. up see, look up scenes toy. That thing's insane. The the original one. Much respect to the Bronx Bomber. <laughs> I believe Toy Tokyo produced it. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. You'll dig it, man. It's dope. A lot of people don't know about it. Okay. Oh, you know what? We're supposed to give a shout out to Is on this episode. I guess they're a a, a huge collector of yours. Oh, right on. The Is Israel. Is. My dog. <laughs> it's George wanted to give it. So George said, give a shout out from me to Iz. Yo, big shout out to my man Iz. What up, brother? Appreciate you, dog. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jesse, last lightning question. We'll make this an easy one. You worked with a lot of different licenses. Is there one in particular that you haven't worked with that you would absolutely love to reinterpret in your style? Oh, man. Any license at all? Yeah, what license would you want to develop and put your own dream. personal spin on? Yeah, dream license. I want to do Spawn. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, that's one. Huh. <laughs> uh, I want to do uh, Megatron. Okay. Ooh, I think yeah. it'd be kind of insane. Um, let's see, what else we want? Um, oh, Darth Vader, dude. Time out. Time out. Darth Vader all day. Okay. Nice. Well, Jesse, we're pretty much up against the time. So I just want to say thanks so much for coming on and and joining Teresa and myself. And we had a great time talking with you. Hey, awesome hanging out with you guys, man. Yeah. Always fun talking about back in the day. Ding. Yeah. Ding. (laughs) So why don't you take a brief moment and let our listeners know where they can find you? Uh, You find me online, uh, urbanaztec.com, jessehernandez.net. And also 
So on uh, social media at Urban Aztec. That's uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, good times, man. Appreciate you guys. Definitely. Thanks for coming on again. All right, Teresa, where can people find you? Yep. Thanks for coming on, Jesse. This was fun. Um, if you all want to find me, yeah, it was good. Uh, I feel like I, I always get educated on these back in the day <laughs> time warps. Now, we spent like I three feel- quarters of, of the whole thing talking about old school. You know. I got to go back now and re-listen and make like a giant list of all the toys I need to Google and research up on that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll have to go back because you're going to have to help me, Gary, because I'm like, I can't remember all the stuff. But um, but yeah, if you all want to find me, check me out on Instagram, TMHawk24. And I'm Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to. Because we want to. So until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. Bye. That's what's up. <laughs> nice. Ending it with a throwback. <laughs>